Welcome to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast presented by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, April Stearns. Each week for the next year, you'll hear an essay from our book read by the author. Igniting the Fire Within is a collection of stories of healing, hope, and humor, offering an insider's view into today's young breast cancer community. We compiled 50 essays for people diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. There is medicine for each of us in these stories, whether you've been personally diagnosed with cancer or not. Wildfire stories in general, but especially the ones you'll hear from Igniting the Fire Within, are stories of transformation. Our storytellers experienced a shift in perspective as a result of something that happened to them. And the cancer diagnosis was not the thing that happened, or it wasn't the only thing. The cancer diagnosis was merely the catalyst for later changes that led our writers to understand deep truths about the world. Each one of them learned lessons that showed them what it is to live, not just survive, in the glare of cancer. We believe deeply that the stories that change us aren't so much about what happened as they are about what came next. And hearing those stories, true stories of transformation, that's what ignites the fire within each of us. A listener note before we dive in, cancer is a salty business and sometimes talking about it and the aftermath requires salty language. Listener discretion is advised. Today's storyteller is Tamira Jubber. Tamira is now retired. She was diagnosed at 29 with stage 3 triple positive invasive ductal carcinoma, otherwise known as breast cancer. Her story today is called Linda, My Hero, My Tamoxifen Tester. I have one of the most unique stories of how I came to be where I am today. Right from the moment of my existence, born to a young Zimbabwean interracial couple in a small town, I was going through trials without even knowing it. After spending the first few years of my childhood isolated from outside family as my parents had run away and gotten married against the wish of a close parent, my young sister and I were welcomed into our family on both sides. While our white relatives were often ashamed of us and would deny us in public, our black relatives thought we were royalty due to our beautiful tan complexions and luscious brown curls. Marvel is pretty racist. Often, my sister and I were outcasts from both racers and called gothy, which is the derogatory term for the child of a mixed-race couple. Eventually, my parents became successful business owners, having the largest printing company in Zimbabwe. And as preteens, we were lucky enough to travel to Holland, the country of my dad's origin, and to the U.S. on vacation. I remember a wonderful childhood and a nothing beautiful home with a pool, frequent camping and hunting trips with my dad, and Sunday lunches with cousins. In December of 2003, Zimbabwe became a land of chaos and corruption. With a rigged election and the start of a genocide, my parents let my sister and I know that we would be leaving the very next day for a surprise Christmas vacation to the U.S. I absolutely couldn't believe it, and I rolled. We left excited, 
I'll need to look next to my dad on the plane and have him say, look carefully out the window, Chan. You will never see this place again. My heart sank and my eyes welled with tears. He explained that we would be pleading asylum when we got to the U.S. and that we were dangerously close to being executed as a family. Robert Mugabe, president of Zimbabwe, had turned into a dictator when a bill he backed failed to pass. He wanted to take back some of the white farmer-owned land, some of which my family owned, and distribute it to war victory from the 1980 Battle of Independence, gaining freedom from British colonial rule that turned our country from Rhodesia into liberated Zimbabwe. Although the people voted no, Mugabe decided he would send his war there to seize whatever land anyway. The style of the so-called war vests was to beat the workers of the farms as a warning and arrive a couple days later to tie up, savagely beat, and burn the family alive if they were stupid enough to hang around. The savagery moved quickly through all the farms, forcing all my first set of cousins to leave Zimbabwe and move to the UK. My dad and a few of his employees were printing flyers for the opposition to promote change in the upcoming election. He would drive around Bulawayo, throwing them on the street for when. At the time, Mugabe had an executive order for banning cameras, but fear media would catch wind of those atrocities or any type of support for the opposing party, NDC, which stood for Movement for Democratic Change. My dad had taken incognito pictures of ballot boxes being emptied into trash dumps and refilled with ballot trucks. Unfortunately, one of his employees ended up joining the militia and ravaged him out to the Zimbabwean army. A gardener had been leader for them an inch of his life and left at our front door. It was threatening notes, which made my parents scramble and buy tickets for the following day to the U.S. The U.S. was the only country we had valid visas for at the time. Because my sister and I went to a convent with daughters of many government officials, my parents couldn't risk us letting it out that we were moving to America. Using my dad's pictures and presenting the death ref ground to us asylum, and with extreme relief, we started to rebuild our life in the U.S. Our squad. When I was triple... When I was diagnosed triple positive, stage 3B breast cancer, in May of 2016, I had just turned 29. I was in the prime of my life, only to find out I now have to take medication and love the constantly changing side effects every single day until I can eventually, every single day until I eventually can't fight the cancer anymore and succumb to my fate. I sank into a depression I couldn't pull myself. I sank into a depression I couldn't pull myself out of. That's when my sister called me and I had no idea my whole story was about to close in a beautiful circle. She had made the decision to become a living kidney donor for her co-workers that had been on a waiting list for four years. At first, I was a bit ticked off the track. I thought it was irresponsible. She was a mother to a beautiful daughter and a charming special needs son 
What if they need other kidney and she was the only match? What if one of our parents need other kidney? I could never be a donor while in treatment, so what could they do? Was she just doing this for attention? Despite all the warnings and accusations, she decided to proceed with the donation. Just two weeks before the surgery, she received a call from a co-worker's wife telling her that he had fallen on the stairs. He was unconscious and hanging on to life in last year. She could cancel her surgery completely or proceed and donate her kidney to a stranger and receive all the vouchers that could be used by her or direct family in the future to receive a kidney without having to wait should that moment ever happen. For her, this was a no-brainer. In June of 2020, my sister Victoria donated her kidney. She was allowed to leave a note for the recipient that understood that it would only be delivered if the recipient requested to communicate with their donor. She wrote a heartfelt note, not expecting a reply. Two months later, she received an email from her recipient. His name is Jean. He lives in Texas. And he'd been on the waiting list for kidney for 17 years. He and his wife had never had cared. And friends and family weren't a match, so he was in limbo just waiting for the text that would change his life, letting him know he had a match. Jean and Victoria started communicating back and forth via email and eventually had a FaceTime where they got to meet for the first time. That day, Victoria met Linda, Jean's wife, who was fighting hard against metastatic breast cancer. Here's the full circle. Linda was diagnosed with hormone-positive breast cancer at 23. She was one of the very first trial patients to take tamoxifen as part of their treatment, the hormone and cancer cell suppressing that I'm currently on. At that time, no one knew tamoxifen could cause women to become sterile. So while they tried, Linda and Jean had been able to see. Linda went through all available treatments and then proceeded to take tamoxifen for five years and live cancer-free until 2019 when metastasis was discovered in almost every area of her body. Linda and Jean were so worried he would never receive a kidney and therefore be unable to take care of her as she was the caregiver at the time. They knew that she eventually would need to move into a hospice and Jean wouldn't even be able to visit her. All of this was changed when they received license of kidney. Just two months after the surgery, he was driving her to all of her appointments, feeling amazing and able to give her the care she needed. A month ago, my sister showed me a video of Linda, my hero, my tamoxifen tester. She's frail now, bones protruding, a shadow of her former healthy self. Her speech is slurred from painkillers and a feeding tube is kicked to her nose. I lost control, frightened by her decline in appearance. My sister held my shoulders and looked at me. Don't be upset, dude. She said she's lived an amazing life. She found her love. She traveled the world. She cared for the love of her life. 
and lived 29 years beyond her original diagnosis. She lived longer than she thought she would and got the satisfaction of seeing her husband healed. She said she believes the transplant is the real reason we ended up in America. And she's ready to go now. I felt a wave of peace come over me. Uh, this is why I came to America. I get it now. Jane was meant to get my sister's kidney, and I was meant to meet Linda. It's not that I get to suffer for an unknown amount of years. I get to love. And if she did everything I did and got in love at 29 years, I need to snap out of my death kitty fog and get to the and get to enjoying this precious long life I have before me. I feel a complete peace and I'm no longer afraid of the end. Like every other stage of my life, it will come when it's time and like I always do, I'll survive that experience too. Everything will be okay and my circle of life will be complete. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn. Check us out at wildfirecommunity.org to order your copy of the book so you can read along each week. You'll also find our magazine and storytelling workshops there. Big thanks to our producer, Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant, Monica Haro. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really, tell everyone you know. Or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to igniting their own fire within. Ooh.